0: Open your Bibles to Psalm 46. Those of you who are paying attention will note that it has already been read to you. Psalm 46. I have endeavored to begin each service with the reading of a psalm, because as I have said before, uh, more psalm reading will help us in our worship. Uh, Much of the early church, this was the hymnal, the book of Psalms. And so we begin each uh, Sunday morning, and I read uh, a psalm each week. And and this week, rather than just leading into or being a part of, I'd like to look at the 46th psalm. So um, perhaps this is Hymn Study Sunday, for those of you who come to the Wednesdays, we do that. Uh, This is, in that regard, the oldest hymn that we have looked at, Psalm 46. But seeing as I've already read it, if you would just bow your heads, we will pray. Father God, this morning, we come into your presence together as a people, knowing that truly we're never out of your presence because you are everywhere. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You have given us so much, individually and as families and as this church which you have gathered together. And today, Father God, we pray as we examine this psalm, this hymn of the early church, we might say, we pray that we will all be active in worshiping you, in giving to you, in ascribing to you the honor and the glory that you are due because you deserve it all. You are most glorious, you are creator, you are Lord, and you are Savior. Thank you for that this morning. Help us to look at this psalm and worship you in and through it. Speak to us today, open our ears and our hearts, Lord, we ask in the holy name of Jesus, and Amen. So, Psalm 46, I would like to speak to you about God, our refuge. Just a couple technical notes I'd like to point out. Seeing as we're recognizing this uh, psalm as a poem or as a song, as we might call it today, uh, it doesn't jump off the page at you, uh, but in actuality, um, it could be divided into three stanzas or verses, right? If we were to print it in one of our modern hymnals, we would divide it up that way. The first three verses composing the first verse, uh, verses 4 through 7, composing the second, and then eight through 11. An easy way for you to know this, for those of you paying attention, look at the end of verse three, look at the end of verse seven, and the end of verse 11. What you'll find is the same word repeated. You'll find that this is uh, not about my daughter Selah, although this is where we got the name, Um, That's a notation. Uh, The meaning of this word whenever you come across it in the Psalms is to pause and reflect. It marks the end of the stanza, so to speak. So the first three verses should be taken together and we should pause and we should think about them as one unit. And then verse 7 and then verse 11. Uh, That's the reason when you hear me reading Psalms publicly, I'll not uh, read that word because it's a notation to us about how to read and to think about what we're reading. So uh, we'll look at it in those three verses. It's very handy for me. As I was told a long time ago, preachers should have three points per sermon because it's easy to remember. Well, this one's in three stanzas, so it works out well this time at least. Uh, That is not a rule or law that we must always follow, but perhaps it will help us this morning. As we look at Psalm 46... God is our refuge. So beginning, the, the psalmist opens up, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That first verse, that's what this is about. Our hymn of this month is, It is well with, our, with my soul. We should sing corporately, It's well with our souls, I suppose. And if you were here for the hymn study, one of the major points that I said why I selected that hymn is because it gets so right The connection between faith and comfort. For those of uh, you who were here, this is review. For those of you who weren't here, you should have been, but here's a snapshot of it. Uh, This hymn, at least the lyrics of it, were written amidst great tragedy. Terrible loss. The author of the lyrics, Horatio, Brother Horatio I'll call him this morning since we also said they stand as such a great Christian testimony and witness and pattern for us to follow, had lost his uh, only son to scarlet fever and then all four of his daughters in a tragic shipwreck. And it was passing uh, over the spot in the ocean uh, where that they had allegedly sank that he penned the original four lyrics to the song. Which amazes me because how in that moment of great grief and sorrow and loss, and by the way, it's right to grieve. And it's right to experience and to express loss in this world. We're supposed to do that. It's healthy. The Bible says that we should weep with those who are weeping. It's a part of our human condition. We look forward to the day when there will be no need. There will be no weeping because there will be no loss. But for now... When we experience these things, and yes, this is a very personal message to me this morning as we grieve the loss of my grandfather, it's right to grieve, but he found something in that moment of unspeakable uh, lowness, sorrow. He found his faith in Christ anchored him, and we made much of this on Wednesday night, and my thoughts were turned to this song. Why could such an anchor of faith, why is it that our trusting in Christ and our assurances in Him, how is it that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection so very much assure us that we can last through any storm of this life? How is it this psalm answers that question? So maybe this is a follow-up to the hymn study, although I didn't have it uh, picked out or uh, envisioned at the time, but God does crazy things like that, connecting things so that it's good and easy for us, and we're thankful that it's that way. This psalm, child of God, church family, this psalm points out for us as we look at it this morning why and how we can trust in God. So I pray that God's Holy Spirit would move amongst us in a way to secure faith, to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith in in God as we look at what the psalmist has to say here. So that's what this is about. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present, very-present Help in trouble. So that's what uh, the song is about. So let us uh, look at these things and pick it apart a little bit and see what God would have for us. Why is it that it says God is a refuge? Why is it? Because we so very much need that. And we don't admit that probably nearly enough. Especially we uh, men who grew up in uh, in the South, as Brother Robbie said this morning, by the grace of God. Um, There are many things about our heritage uh, that are good, and this is perhaps one of them. We are mostly raised with an eye to being strong men, to being protectors and providers, and all that is, is good. But sometimes, brothers, we need to admit that we desperately need a refuge. It is not weakness, it is a not less manly, it is not any of these detrimental things to admit as a man that I need my God. We sometimes like to affix labels and descriptions that are more from our culture, which is a fallen culture culture, then we do the descriptions of what the Bible says, what God has said to us. The roles of men and women are different, they are distinct, they are uh, equal, we are uh, co-equal in God's eyes, we're none of us up here and the others down here, but we need to attach a right label, a right description to what it means to be a man. And a big part of that, gentlemen, is to admit, to profess, to proclaim I cannot do it on my own. I need my God. My strength is not in this body. Some of you are very strong. You've had to work hard, and that's a good thing. Some of you men are very strong in character. Thank God for that. We need principled men in this world. But men, let us say... And if you're not accustomed to saying this, perhaps the Lord would move upon you and impress this upon you. We need to say, my strength is not my own because nothing that I can do is good enough, strong enough, will last enough. It is all of my God. If it's of good, if it will last, it's of God. We need to bring up our boys looking for what it means to be a man. And that means a great many things. And I won't uh, tarry too long on this subject. But I want to say this morning because it needs saying. Boys, you need to be strong men. Which means your strength needs to come from God. Fathers, Fathers, Where do we get the strength to raise these boys? On our knees, pleading for help, for that that we don't have, because it's not innately in us. But praise God, read that first verse again. I know this is ladies, I'll get to you in just a moment, but I needed to speak. Brothers, read that first verse with me again. Cast your eyes upon it. God is our refuge, and He is our strength. And we need to make use of Him. There are times we need to just go into that cave, so to speak. We need a rest. That's God. And there's nothing shameful about that that's scriptural manhood ladies This psalm is not written just to men. And forgive me if I have left you out for too long. Ladies, do you know what it means to be a strong woman in this world? Girls, listen up. Those of you, we have precious girls growing up. Young ladies, forgive me. I don't want to insult you this morning. What it means to be a strong woman is in no wise to deny what God's role and intended purpose for you is. It is not to say I'm as good as anybody else. What it means to be a strong and a virtuous woman is to say with just what I've said for the men... God is your refuge and you need him. Your strength is not because uh, it's innately given to women. God gives many gifts and thank God I've known some very strong women. Uh, If you haven't met them, come meet my family sometime. Strong women. But so much of that strength is because they have not been ashamed to say, I need my God. We need to raise our daughters as virtuous young women. That takes a lot of strength, a lot of patience. It takes a lot of grace. Young ladies, go to God as your refuge. Hide in Him. When the world tells you things that you want to believe that you are not good enough or pretty enough or tall enough or thin enough or fast enough or any other thing that the world might tell you, you are a precious, precious gift and treasure of God. Hide in Him from these lies. Hide in Him. Draw strength from Him. Church family, man, woman, boy, and girl, cast our eyes upon the first verse. And I know I've taken so much long in just this, but just just that first verse. Let this be our profession. Let us uh, uh, cast out uh, our cares or, or whatever else and let us say corporately, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and we need Him. What does it take to be saved? So many say you cannot be saved until you're lost. What that means is you have to admit it. You have to admit that you need God. And and I know I've tarried on this, but I felt like this morning those things needed to be said. God is our refuge and strength. As much as we need Him, He is that. He is everything that we need. He's a very present help in trouble. What that means, if you dig into, and I'm sure none of you uh, spend, maybe some of you may, uh, as much time looking at original languages and this and that, but sometimes there's, there's wealth of information and connotation there that doesn't jump out. What it is saying, as briefly as I can, is wherever there's trouble, wherever you have need, whether you have strife in this life, God is the help and not just enough help. He is over abundantly all and more than you need. That's why you can trust in God. What does the psalmist say as he continues on? He talks about mountains being moved. He talks about uh, great earthquakes. He talks about the roar uh, and the thrashing of of, uh, oceans. He talks about great trouble. We read in the scriptures. We see in the news. We know in our day and time there is great calamities when the earth shall quake and, and sadly many people die and, and buildings fall there are tsunamis there are hurricanes there are tornadoes there are all these things we need not fear who is the God of all of these natural forces the only one and living God that there is let us recognize this morning why and how can we trust in God because He's God He made everything He can stop Or He can start any of these processes. And let me say that extends more uh, than just mountains and waters. All the things that we live through in life. Those uh, tormentuous times as our bodies change and our adolescence. and, And the fact of dealing with death. All of these things, are they too big? Not for my God. Why can we trust in God? Because He is God of the natural universe. He created it all. He sustains it all. Colossians 1 and 17, Paul said, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Why can we trust in God? Because He is Lord God creator. Trust in God. Second stanza. Verses 4 through 7. Notice a stark uh, contrast. In the the first stanza, we're talking about earthquakes. We're talking about uh, tumultuous waters, tidal waves, we might say. Notice in verse 3, though. It's as as different as day and night, black and white. Peaceful waters. Streams. I've often said before that whenever I go to the ocean, and this is part of being uh, growing up in landlocked Middle Tennessee... Um, I don't live on the ocean. I did for a while over on the coast. But now when I go back, when I first get there, I just have to pause. Those of you who've been to uh, either the West Coast, uh, East Coast, uh, in the Bay, doesn't matter. Think about, think about the experience of going to the ocean. I'm not talking about uh, suntans and, and sports and stuff. But just just think about that first moment when you step out of your car and you walk out and you step onto the beach, you turn the corner, whatever it is, and you first hear it. That sound. The Scriptures talk about the voice of God sometimes, and says He speaks with the voice of many waters. It's not unlike the sound. How many of you perhaps have been to some uh, a large waterfall, and you, and you come to it, and you're... Just for a moment. Can you picture it? Can you remember it? That sound, it's very similar to what's at the beach. That sound of strength, of power. We use water to uh, develop uh, quite a bit of electricity in this uh, nation. Going to the ocean always makes me pause because it reminds me of the immense and matchless power of God. And it's on display for us. Not just in the tsunamis, but every day, washing up. Always changing the landscape, right? The power of God. But here in the second stanza, we're not talking about that sound. We're not talking about a great waterfall. We're not talking about the uh, tidal waves that are coming in. We're talking about peaceful streams. We go to the east of this state. We go up in the smoky mountains. Most of you have been there or, or other places. You go off in the woods, and it's not a great and raging and powerful sound, but, but what is it? It's, it's beautiful. It's serene, it's peaceful. Verse 1, or stanza 1 says, we can trust God because He's a God greater than all the uh, circumstances, than all of nature because He is creator. Verse 2 says, but it's not just the dismay, it's not just the chaos of nature, yet God has created nature in this way. There's a river, verse 4 says, a calming picture. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. Brings in language here, the city of God, and it talks about the tabernacles. And, and these, this is one of the streams that reaches all the way through the Scriptures from beginning to end, this picture, by the way, right? Jerusalem in the Old Testament, uh, we read in uh, the Revelation verse uh, chapter 21 about New Jerusalem coming down, right? There's a beautiful picture there, the continuity is there, and where is it represented in our day and time? In the Lord's churches. So this is talking about us. Talks about uh, tabernacles, right? Verse 4: So make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. This is a theme that runs throughout Scripture as well: about God's presence with mankind. If you read Genesis chapter 1, if, if, if you're ignorant of the rest of the scriptures, you won't see it, but if you, if you know that this is a theme and you see it throughout and you go back and read the creation account, what is God doing? He is making, if you will, a tabernacle. By that, what I mean is He's making a place for God to dwell with man. What was the garden before the fall? It was a serene and peaceful place where man and God were together. Well, we know that uh, it was canceled because of the fall. But we go forward and what does He give the Old Testament nation of uh, Israel? We've been studying it back in the Sunday school room in the back. He gives us the ark and the tabernacle which later becomes a temple. What is that about? It's about God being with His people. What do we read in that uh, prophecy of the new Jerusalem coming down? It says there's no temple. And most of us read that and we probably think, why don't we need a building? It's not about building. What it says is because Jesus is there. Where do we meet God? How and through what uh, means does God dwell with people? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's also, by the way, a part of what it means to be in the body of Christ. How do men come to dwell with God? through the gospel ministry of His churches. So what do we see here? It's talking about us, stanza two. And it's not about chaos, but it's about a God who makes a place and a peace. Jesus said to His disciples, uh, I leave you peace. He says, it's not the peace of this world. It's not temporary. It's not contingent upon how you're feeling this day. Jesus says, the peace that I give lasts forever. And it's above and beyond anything anyone in this life can give you. So this second stanza is a peaceful flow. God is providing this. There's a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. And, and why and how is that possible? Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. Church family, why can we trust God? Standard 1 says because He's God of creation and all the universe. Standard 2 says because He's right here with us. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Where does God dwell? He dwells in through the spirit of the heart of every believer, but where is the anointing and the continual presence and the move of the spirit? It's among his people as gathered in churches. Church family, we can trust in God because he has chosen to be here with us. Now I ask you, I'm the new kid on the block, but those of you who've been, who have been a part of this family for a long time, when has God left you? He hasn't. Through whatever that you've been through, and I know some of it, but not all of it, God has been here to give you exactly what you need and to be this peaceful, flowing stream for His people. Why can we trust God? Because He's the God of all creation. He's the Lord of heaven and of earth. He's also in the midst, in the very center of His people, to give peace. Let's look at uh, verse three, if you will. Uh, stanza three, starting at verse eight. All right, He's God of creation; He's in the midst of us. Verse eight. Come, behold the works or the deeds of the Lord. Now, here's where it sounds strange to us in our uh, ways and in, in uh, these times. We don't hear songs like this. Uh, it says to come and behold the deeds. And then the first thing it says, what desolations have the earth, has He made in the earth? Right? That doesn't seem so peaceful. It seems sort of abrupt. But take into account what He's saying. What are the desolations that God has brought about? God brings about judgment upon sin which separates us from God. God brings about desolations of the enemies of the people of God. Think for yourself in one of the first great and lasting pictures that we have when God's people were rescued from Egypt and Pharaoh's army was chasing them to destroy them. And what did God do in His grace and His love toward His people? He brought about a great desolation. He slew the enemies of His people. What do we read about if we keep reading the story of the Old Testament Israel? What do we read about when we get into the New Testament and the prophecies of what's the age to come? What will God bring about in love for His people, in grace to us, church family? He will bring about the desolation of the enemies of God and of His people. What weapons can stand against us? Paul said, we're more than conquerors. Even though in this life we're slain like lambs, we're more than conquerors. That's what the psalmist is making reference to. So it may seem abrupt by our standards today, but he says, come and see what God is doing, and He's doing all these things by the grace and the love for His people. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease. Make no bones about it. Someday wars shall cease forever. And the reason it's not happening now in this moment is not because God is unable. If you have any questions about that, refer back to stanza one. He's the Lord creator of heaven and earth. But if you have more questions, he brings out some detail here. He makes sure that we're not left with question. The psalmist says, he breaketh the bow, which is a symbol of the strength of people. And He cutteth the spear and sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. There is no weapon, no scheme, no force that can be amassed that will ever conquer our God or His purposes. Sometimes we buy into the lie that there's an eternal struggle and it's sort of equal, and we trust that God will win, but right now He's still trying. That's not the picture at all. If you think that's right, you need to reread your Bibles The victory is won. Nothing and no one shall overcome God. That's why in verse 10, the psalmist says, Be still. And literally, what this means is let go. That's a terrifying thought to us. Let go. Remember what we said at the beginning? It's not our strength. It's not our cunning. I've read the bumper stickers and then the postings on social media. If you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. You've, you've read this. Be still means let go. Stop trying of your own strength. Know that I am God. What did Moses say to the people of God on the shores of of the Red Sea? He said, be be still, again, and see the salvation of your God. I was talking to one of our uh, dear sisters, a friend uh, of mine, a sister in Christ, one time, and I said, if there was one bit of advice that you would give to those people who are seeking constantly and seemingly chronically for the salvation of their souls, and they go again and again, they get no satisfaction, and she said, you know, I think I'd tell them to stop trying. She didn't mean stop seeking. She meant this. Church, let's be still. Let's let go. Let's let God be God. Let's just see what he'll do. If we just trust him. Isn't that the message of the scriptures? Be still and know that I am God. In the end, of this verse I think is part of my favorite we'll bring this to an end God promises this I will be exalted (laughs) there's no question as I said the end is never in doubt never has been God will be exalted and he is most exalted by the way when Christ is uplifted and souls are brought to him in faith and repentance under the salvation of their own souls what does that mean for us Remember a few weeks ago when I said the reason we're still here is because God is not done saving souls. I will be exalted. In the end, over all history and throughout eternity, it will be about the glory of God through Christ Jesus coming, living, dying, and being resurrected for our salvation and the redemption of all things. So in the end, in summation, The last line of this great hymn, if we'll call it that. A reminder. Verse 11. Read it with me. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Church family, I know you know it, but it's good to remind you. God is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. Let us rest in him. Bow your heads with me, if you please. Father God, Lord, we we come to you again thanking you for this precious truth. We're thankful, dear God, for your might and for your strength and for your tender touches with us because you lavish us with your love. You gave us Jesus and you continue to lavish us with mercies that we do not deserve. That's why it's grace. That's why it's mercy. But today, Father God, I pray for us as a church family that we may rest in you all the more. Why can we trust in you? The Bible is replete with answers. So we look to you. We acknowledge you and we rest in you as our refuge, the source of our strength. And Father God, we pray that if there be any here today who are, uh, don't know you in the true way of salvation, Father God, maybe they've never put their trust in the finished work of Christ. Lord, today we pray that you would draw them, that we could rejoice, that they could say for the first time ever, God is our refuge. Thank you. Grant us forgiveness of sins through the holy name of Jesus, we pray and amen. Let us stand and sing about our refuge, our great God.